Well, good morning, everybody, and I know it's not quite here, but I want to say Merry Christmas to you because we're getting close, and uh, I know we will see each other again before we actually get to Christmas, and I'm really excited about that because normally we would have already done that, and we wouldn't have here, you know, Sunday morning services, and so I think this is going to be a uh, just an amazing, amazing time. We're going to get to see each other in like two days. Uh, uh, some of you might be scared of that fact, but I'm excited about that. Uh, but we seriously are glad that you're here. Merry Christmas. And uh, we do want you to know, I, do, I want you to uh, remember and remind you of a couple things. We put this in the handout. We put it in Northridge News, but I haven't said this yet, and I feel like it's important to say so. And I'm not going to spend a long time because you guys know the spiel. When it comes to Christmas Eve, when it comes to Easter, when it comes to some of our biggest things, there's some specific things that we as a church, you as the church, remember the church is not a building, the church is you, there's some things that you as the church need to do. Number one, you need to be here and be present, be with us. People need to experience our church and God's presence, which is what you carry with you. So be here. Invite others to come with you. That's important. This is like a huge thing. One of the biggest purposes and mandates that we have is to bring the good news of Jesus to others. One way that you can do that is to invite people. But then let me ask you to do three specific things. When you get to Christmas Eve, okay, so when we get to that 5 and 6.30 service, let me ask you to do three things. One, get here early. Okay? That's not like so that we can start on time. That is so that when everybody else gets here, they know where you guys are. You're ready to greet them, to smile and say Merry Christmas to them and let them know that we love them simply by being here already and so that we know exactly where they can sit. They know where to sit and we're not fighting each other to do that. Okay? Two, when you get here, do not park close. Do not park close. It will be cold. It's December in Wisconsin on the 24th. Do not park close anyway. The reason is very important because we need to show people what it looks like to serve them before they ever walk into our building. Okay? And I know some of you are like, well, I, what? That seems weird. Seriously, don't park close. Maybe don't even park in the parking lot. Let's allow our visitors, when they show up, to see what it looks like to, for us to put them first rather than ourselves. And then when you get in here, please do another thing that will be more, maybe the most uncomfortable. Please move further up to the front and closer to the middle of the rows than you normally would. Yes, it's okay if we have to call for people to use the restroom. We'll, we'll forgive you. It's fine. Please do those things because we need to show people what it looks like to serve them before they ever even see us. Amen? All right. So we're glad that you're here. Um, and we've been in this series called What's in the Box? And we've been talking about the story of Christmas. What's in the story of Christmas? What's in the Christmas box, so to speak, that you and I need to know that we need to learn about God and about ourselves? And we've been talking about this. We talked about the fact that with Jesus came light. We talked about the fact that with Jesus, Christmas story, came worship. And today we're going to talk about a very different thing. But before I do that, before I tell you what the third word is that's in the box, let me just ask you to consider a scenario. I want you to put yourself in the place where you're getting ready to get onto a, an air, airplane to take a flight for 10 hours across the ocean to go to some other country. Okay? It doesn't matter what country, doesn't matter what flight, it just matters that you're getting on an airplane and you're going to be on that airplane for 10 hours. How many of you get excited about that? Woo-hoo. Right? 
I love knees up my nose, right, when I'm sitting. It's awesome, right? But let's just say that when you get there to check in, right, with the host or the, the stewardess or whatever they call them now these days, uh, you get there and, and they say, hey, guess what? So we want you to know that we have offered to you, we're offering to you to be able to sit in first class for your flight all the way there. And when you return in a week, you get to sit in first class all the way back. So all the compliments, all the drinks, all the stuff, you get all that stuff in all this room where you can just kind of be like, wow, this is awesome. You get first class. Okay? How many of you would be pretty excited about that? Absolutely. Let me paint a different picture. Okay? Let me paint a different picture. Let's say that you get a call from one of your friends and say, hey, guess what? I just, I just won an all-inclusive trip to the Rose Bowl to watch the Badgers play against Oregon. The flights are taken care of. The hotels are taken care of. It's the, one of the nicest ones there. And you get to go. The tickets are taken care of. Your food is taken care of. Everything's taken care of. All you have to do is say yes. And I won these tickets, and I won enough for my entire family, but our family's not going to go. And so I'm giving it to you guys. You get to go to the Rose Bowl. How awesome would that be? I don't know about you, but I'm like, uh, yes, please. Hey, dear, guess what? <laughs> All right? Let me paint one other picture. Let's say that you're getting ready to go to uh, your favorite band, maybe your favorite music artist, whatever you want to call it. You've loved them your whole life. You've listened to them your whole life. You know every word of every song. Like, you just, they're amazing. And they're going to be near you, and so you have tickets to go. And then all of a sudden, you get a call from the company that, that books all this stuff, and they say, hey, guess what? We've selected you to have a backstage pass, and you get to have dinner with the musician or the artist or the band before the concert. You get to hang out backstage and kind of see their show, and you get to hang out with them afterwards. Like, it's an all-inclusive, VIP, amazing thing. How many of you be excited about that? Okay, now let me ask you another question. How many of you, when you found out you're going to get first class, when you get to go to the Rose Bowl, or you get to be hang out with your favorite music artist, your favorite band, how many of you immediately would turn around and you'd give that away to somebody else who would never get to experience it? How many of you, that would be your first thought, your first thing? Awesome, thank you. See, I, I see this other person that they could use first class more than I could. How many of you would just say, that's awesome, but I have this family that they can't, they can't even afford to buy Christmas presents, let it go into the Rose Bowl. I want them to go. Hard, isn't it? Hard to say, like, we all know, like, what I just said is good, yet we're not sure if we're in that position if we do it. The word today that's in the box, you probably guessed it already, is servant. Christmas is all about light. It's all about worship. But one thing that it's absolutely about is serving, of being a servant. And so we're going to talk about that today. In fact, today you're probably going to want more of the Christmas story than I'm going to give you. I'm going to only give you two verses of the Christmas story this morning. Two verses out of the whole Christmas story is what we're going to read. But these two verses tell us a very, very powerful thing about God and about Jesus. And I want to read those for you. It's the part where Joseph and Mary are in Bethlehem, and it's the time for Jesus to be born. Let me read it. Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 6. While they, this is Mary and Joseph, were there, that's in Bethlehem, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. 
She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. You've probably heard there was no room available in the inn. Just so that we're clear, that's a really bad translation because there weren't hotels back then, really, like we think of them today. What it really means is that there was no space available in the house or in the town that they lived, that they went to. Okay? And so I want us to notice three things out of this passage. We're going to leave it up there for just a minute because I want you to refer back to that. I want you to notice three things that happen. When Jesus is born, what does it say? Mary wrapped Jesus in what? In cloths. Not in a nice new Northridge kids onesie. Right? Lime green, no less, which is how we do it. Right? Not, it wasn't wrapped in this nice, soft, new baby blanket. In fact, he wasn't even wrapped in an old blanket. He was wrapped in strips of cloth. Second thing I want you to notice. Where, when Jesus needed to sleep, did Mary lay her precious newborn baby? Laid him in a, what? In a manger. Now, uh, this is not a word that we use, right? How, How often have you used the word manger this week? My guess is that many times, right? We don't use that. So many of us know what it is, but let me just unpack what it is so that we are very clear as to what it is. A manger is very simply a feeding trough for animals. That's what a manger is. Now, manger sounds nicer. We're like, manger, and we make them out of nice wood, and we put hay, and we, we position it perfectly so it looks really nice. But really, when it comes down to it, a manger is a feeding trough for animals. It's where animals eat their stuff. Okay, let me give you an idea. Okay, this is a modern day trough. How many of you, when your baby is first born, some of you just had family members who just gave birth to a newborn baby recently? I know, several of you have. Okay, imagine that like, oh, this baby is so precious. Oh, we love him. Let's find a feeding trough to place him in or her in. I doubt it, right? Why? Because it's a feeding trough. In fact, let me give you a a picture of this is not the feeding trough. We don't even know if it's actually a feeding trough. We just, our best guess is that it might have been a feeding trough from Jesus' day. Here's a picture of it, okay? Look how comfy that looks. Mmm, just snuggle into the granite, right? Jesus was placed in a manger. He's wrapped in cloths, and he's placed in a feeding trough. Third thing I want you to notice from the Scripture passage is why he was wrapped in cloths. Why was he placed in a manger? The reason was, why? Because there was no room available for them in a normal place. There was no space. They had nowhere for Mary and Joseph to go. I'm sorry, we can offer you the animal area. This is the best we've got. It's the best we can do. So the the question that you might be asking and that I think is important to ask is, so what's so important about those two verses and why do you make a big deal about the three things in that verse? Well, that's a good question. And let me ask another set of questions to, to, to kind of get to the answer. Let me ask you this. Is God all powerful? Now, you don't have to raise your hand and be like, hey, I know the answer to that Pastor Brent, I know. <laughs> I'm just saying, just consider that. Is God all-powerful? Can God do anything? Okay. Is it true 
that God, at least according to his word, the Bible, isn't it true that God orchestrated the entire story of Christmas? He called Mary to, be, to give birth to Jesus. He told Joseph to take Mary as his wife, even though that was their plan all along. But he says, Joseph, you can go ahead and take Mary as your wife. It's okay. He orchestrated that. Is it not true that he had a census so that Mary and Joseph would have to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem and that Jesus was meant to be born on that night at that time in that place. So is it true that God orchestrated the entire Christmas story? Yes, it is. So here's my question to you. If God can do anything, why would God intentionally have Jesus born in a place that was not really safe, not really sterile, wrapped in cloths, placed in a feeding trough because he didn't make reservations at the right place. Did God forget? Did God not go to Expedia and click on the right thing? Why would he do that? My point to you is, God knew exactly what he was doing. And the reason God did it is to make a statement to you and to me, to all people. And the statement is clear. In fact, Jesus tells us what the statement that God was trying to make that first night when he was born. I want to read for you what Jesus himself says about himself in Matthew 20, 28. Listen to what he says. These are Jesus' words describing himself. He says, The Son of Man, which is Jesus, came not to be served, but to do what? But to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. In other words, Jesus is trying to communicate. God is communicating to us from the very moment he arrived on earth that I am not here for you to serve me. I am here to serve you. Even though I'm God, I'm giving up myself for you. This is a big deal. And you might be here and saying, well, okay, that's one verse that Jesus said, and that's taking a lot of liberty with one verse in the Christmas story to say that Jesus came to serve. Well, as many of you probably know, but maybe some of us don't know, the, the fact that Jesus came to serve you and serve me is packed from front to back in God's Word, in the Bible, throughout. If you read this book, you will find over and over and over and over again that Jesus came to be a servant to you and I. He came to serve us. In fact, let me just give you, these are uh, a few verses that I had that I looked up and that I read through. Uh, I read through every one of these this week. These are just 26, these are not all the verses. This is 26 verses that will specifically tell you this is like clear. This is not like the, eh, it kind of sounds like Jesus wanted to come and serve. No, these explicitly say Jesus came to give his life to serve you. 26 verses, and this is not all of them. In fact, can I encourage you to do something today? A little bit later today? Uh, where is it? Isaiah 52 through Isaiah 53, two chapters. Actually, it's part of two chapters. It's all of 53, but it's part of 52. I want to encourage you to read that passage of Scripture today. You probably have, there's a lot of us in here who have probably never even opened up the Bible to Isaiah. Because it's a prophetic book, it's kind of lyrical, poetry. 
As I read that this week, I cried. And it's because that passage describes to you and I who Jesus is 700 years before he ever gets to earth. It's one of the most powerful things. And I've read it before, but it just hit me like a ton of bricks this week. I just encourage you to read it. And then ask yourself what you need to do in light of what it says. It's just a description of Jesus. But Jesus came to serve, and and it's one of those most powerful things. And, And so the question becomes, well, if Jesus came to serve you and I, the question becomes, I think, an important question is, how? How did Jesus serve? Because I don't know about you, but you know how I serve? If somebody sends out like a link, a sign-up genius, like we do for our church, then I click on it and I'm like, ooh, I can do that for like half an hour. Sounds good. I click in my name, right? And then I'm good to go. Like that's what we think of serving. Or if somebody says, hey, would you be willing to watch our child after school for a couple of hours? Like we know that that's serving. But my question to you is, well, how did Jesus serve? I think that would be an important question. If we're supposed to be like Jesus... Wouldn't it be important to say, how does Jesus serve? Did Jesus click on sign up genius and and fill in volunteer slots? Well, I don't know. Well, to answer that question, I want to take us to a different passage. This is why we're not spending a lot of time in Christmas passages, because this passage also describes Jesus. It's Philippians chapter 2. We're going to hang out in Philippians chapter 2 a lot today. Philippians chapter 2 is a description of Jesus in a powerful way. And so I want to kind of unpack some things that we learn from the description of Jesus and how he is, who he is, and how he served. So let's go to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to start with verses 6 through 7. Though he, talking about Jesus, though Jesus was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, Jesus gave up his divine privileges... He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Those two verses just describe the Christmas story to you in very simplistic terms. The whole story of Christmas is that Jesus gave up his divine privileges for you, for me, and came to earth as a human baby. That's the point of Christmas. Jesus gave up his divine privileges. Now, I want you to notice that. It says he gave up his divine privileges. He gave up his position, his role. Can I tell you one of the most powerful ways that you can serve? You're not going to like that. This is hard for us. It's why we don't like to serve like Jesus served. We like to click on sign-up geniuses because we know it's like 30 minutes. I can handle that. I can handle kids for 30 minutes. I can do that. An hour? Absolutely not. But half an hour I can. (laughs) Right? Right? If it's an hour, you're kind of like, I can see you at the computer going, I don't know. I should, but I don't want to. Right? Jesus, how how did he serve? One of the most powerful ways you can serve is this to either give up your position that you have or to use your position that you have to serve and put others first. That's what Jesus did. He literally left the most perfect place in the universe that has ever existed, that will ever exist, heaven, 
He came down to earth where sin is kind of a mess. And he became a human being so that he would experience all that we experience. Just imagine that. That's like leaving first class and going to the back of the plane right next to the bathroom. How many of you know how good a bathroom smells on an airplane? Mmm, so good. All right? Yeah, nasty, right? And, and I'm talking like that is nothing compared to what Jesus did. Jesus left heaven and came to earth. He gave up his position. In fact, let me give you another example of this. So Jesus is at the Last Supper with his disciples, right? He's, he's, he's at the table. His 12 disciples are there. It's the Last Supper before he's going to be arrested and crucified on the cross the next day. Jesus knows it's the Last Supper. The disciples don't quite know this, right? And so at this moment, at the table, it's the Last Supper, right? And so Jesus wants it to be amazing. He wants it to be perfect. He knows that he needs to impart this great wisdom to the disciples. He's been pouring into them for years. He's been pouring into them, helping to teach them how to serve and how to be humble and how to be great and how to be amazing servants and all that stuff. And you know what happens in one of the moments at the supper table? The last one that Jesus is going to have with them before he's crucified? You know what the disciples are doing? They're arguing amongst themselves about who is going to be greater than the other in the kingdom of God. No, I'm going to be better. My dad's bigger than your dad. That's what they're doing. Literally, they're arguing about who's going to be better. And I want to pick up the story there because it tells us who Jesus is because he gives us something very important when he responds to the disciples' selfishness and pride. Listen to what he says. Luke 22, verse 24. Then they began to argue, these are the disciples, among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Jesus told them, this is his response, it's, it's good. In this world, the kings and great men lord it over their people. In other words, they use their position for themselves. Yet they are called friends of the people. But among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank. And the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important? The one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course. But not here. For I am among you as one who serves. So what does that mean? What does Jesus mean by that? Well, I think it's really important that we understand what Jesus is saying is, Jesus is saying to the disciples, okay, you guys are arguing about who's going to be the greatest, about who's the most powerful, about who's going to be awesome. He said, I don't know if you re realize this, I'm God. I'm God. If there's anybody who deserves to just sit at the table, I think I've earned it. I'm God. Who's more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who... He says, the one who sits at the table. Everybody knows if this person is sitting at the table, they're the most important person in the room. And what Jesus says is, but I'm not using my position. In fact, I'm giving up my position at the table because I am here to serve. And he doesn't say it explicitly, although he later does, right there, but he's saying to them, so should you. Stop arguing about who's going to be the greatest. It does not matter. You're here to serve each other, not beat each other out. It is a total contradiction to our world, isn't it? 
This totally goes against everything that we think. Now, you might be wondering, well, what does this mean for our everyday life? It's so good. I hear what Jesus said about the table, the Last Supper, that he came as a baby, that he was laid in a feeding trough. I get all that stuff. But what does it mean for you and I? So am I supposed to lay my baby in a feeding trough and wrap them in cloths, right? Is that, is that what am I supposed to do? Well, it's a good question. Let me just try to give some answers to it. This is not exhaustive by any means, but let me just kind of get the mind going. One thought that I have is serving is doing what no one else wants to do. Have you ever thought about serving that way? Let me just offer this to you. Serving, sacrifice, is doing what no one else wants to do. Let me go back to the sign-up genius for a second, right? We all know this. I'm sure we've all dealt with this. I've done this. Okay? You click on the link, you have all these slots. Some are longer than others. Some are working with kids. Some are easy. Some are short. Some are very desirable. Some are like, uh, no way. Right? And so that's why when you get the sign-up genius, some of you, I know what you do because I do this. So I'm just speaking into your life, okay? I click on it as fast as I can because I'm like, oh, dear goodness, get the good stuff before all the bad stuff is left. Yes, I'll do that. Yes, I'll do that. Woo! I am done. All those people that were too slow, I'm sorry for you. <laughs> right? Some of you are that way, aren't you? Right? Let's sign up now so I get what I want to serve. So I'm not left with all the bottom stuff. Sometimes what I do I do not always do this. I can tell you that I've done that, what I just said, more often than what I've done here, what I'm about to say, and I need to get better at doing all the time what I'm about to say. Sometimes, I don't do this often, but sometimes I will stop and not sign up, and I will contact whoever sent the thing out, whatever it is, whatever thing it is for in the community or whatever, sometimes it's for our church, and sometimes I'll just stop and wait, and I'll say to the person who organized it, listen, I'm willing to be there, I'm willing to serve. I'll do whatever you need me to do, especially those things that nobody you can get to sign up for. Do you know how hard it is for me to do that? I come across well, but really, I don't want to say those things. I'm, I'm serious. When it comes down to it, you know what I, what I think? I'm like, I'm going to be there all day. Like, they're going to have me just doing, I'm going to be cleaning up elephant poo or something. You know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what I'm going to be doing, but, I, and, and, but serving is doing what nobody else wants to do. It's doing what nobody else wants to do, what nobody else will sign up for. That's what it looks like to serve. I could give a lot of other examples, but I'm going to just move on. Giving up our position or using our position to serve others is what Jesus exemplified for you and I. All right? Now, what's another way that Jesus served? He not only gave up his position, his divine privileges, in order to come down and serve us and experience our life, right? He didn't just do that. How else did he serve? Let's go back to Philippians chapter 2. Again, I said we're going to work through that. Verses 7 and 8, the second part of verse 7. When Jesus appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death, even though he was not a criminal, he was not guilty of anything. He died a criminal's death on a cross. Now, the key word that I want you to notice in there, there's a lot of key words, actually, but there's one major key word that I want you to notice. It's the word obedience. 
can I offer to you that one of the most powerful ways that you can serve God and serve others is by being obedient to God? That is not an easy one. But it's being obedient to God. In fact, let me tell you how difficult this was for Jesus. Again, who was fully human and fully God at the same time. Hard to wrap our brains around, but fully human, fully God at the same time. So he's struggling with all the humanity as well while he was on earth. He never sinned. He never gave in to temptation, but he struggled with all the humanity things that we struggle with because he's fully human. Listen to what he says the night before he's going to be arrested and sent to the cross. He's praying these words to God. He says, my father, speaking to God, his father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering, he's talking about crucifixion, be taken away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. Jesus is simply saying, God, in my humanness here, I'm struggling. This is going to be really hard to do to go to the cross, to die a criminal's death, and to take on the sins of the entire world. I just don't know, is there another way? Even Jesus asked if there was another way. When you're struggling in life, let me just tell you, we tend to get angry at God. Let me just tell you that Jesus knows exactly what you're going through because he's God, but he also knows exactly what you're going through because he went through it. He went through some of the worst, most intense struggles and times that we could ever imagine. He knows. He knows. And so Jesus serves us by going to the cross for us. He submits to God's plan, even though it was harder for him. It would have been far easier to stay in heaven, right? It would have been far easier to keep his divine privileges. God thinks, I love the people too, but let's just stick with this plan. I kind of like this. But Jesus doesn't do that. He submits, he's obedient to God's will, God's plan. By the way, do you know what happens when you and I, when we serve God and serve others faithfully as Jesus commands? What's gonna happen to you and what's gonna happen to me is the same thing that happens to Jesus. Let me just read what happens next in Philippians chapter 2. Remember, they just got done saying that he was humble, he became a human baby, and then he died a criminal's death on the cross. Then what happened? Let me just read it for you. Philippians 2, verses 9 through 12. Therefore, as a result of all that Jesus did, God elevated Jesus to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In other words, when we are obedient to God, when we are obedient to what God calls us to do and to be, then what we have to look forward to is that God will elevate us. Okay? This Philippians chapter 2 is a perfect picture of who Jesus is and, and what he did. He came as a servant. He was obedient to God. He died a criminal's death on the cross for your sins and for mine. And then God exalted him, 
honored him, made his name higher than any other name. It's why we talk about the, G, uh, the name of Jesus. It's why we sing the name of Jesus in most of our songs. Almost all of our songs has the name of Jesus in them somewhere. The reason is because his name is above all other names. All other names. And guess what? When you read Philippians chapter 2, I encourage you to do that as well. So I give you, you get all kinds of homework before Christmas. Isn't that great? Read Isaiah 52 and 53 and read Philippians chapter 2. A powerful, both of them describe Jesus in amazing ways. But can I tell you what also Philippians chapter 2 does? It also describes what God wants to do for you. Your life and Jesus' life God wants to see parallels there. He wants to see us serve, become a servant. He wants us to be obedient. And then God's reward for you and I is going to be that he lifts us up. He exalts us. He honors us. He gives us freedom from sin. And he offers us the gift of eternity with God. That's a pretty good gift. It's way better than first class on an airplane. Way better than the Rose Bowl. It's way better than spending an entire evening with your favorite music artist. In fact, I want you to think of your best day ever. I've used this illustration before. Think about your best day ever. I mean, when everything in your life, I'm not saying like it was just a happy day. I mean, when your heart was at peace, there was joy, you knew who you were, you had purpose, you had meaning, everything was right. Everything was, you know that feeling when everything is right. I want you to imagine eternity with God is going to be that times like you don't even have a number for how much it's multiplied. Imagine that. That good forever. That's what eternity with God is going to be. It's an amazing gift. So the question becomes, what do we do with that? What do we do with that? Well, let me bring this out. Why do we get excited, so excited, when we see like an actor or an actress or, or a professional athlete, a famous professional athlete? Why do we get really excited when we see somebody like that or a, a musician or a band? Um, why do we get so excited when we read or we see a little clip of a video that somebody took on their phone, something when we see an actor or an actress or an athlete stop their daily lives, leave their bodyguards, and go down and kneel down in front of a child or go visit a children's hospital where, where kids are being treated with, with childhood cancer or when they give large sums of money to, to a family that absolutely has nothing. When we hear those stories, when we see that, what does that do in your heart? It, it, it just makes your heart just burst, doesn't it? Like, like, wow, that's amazing. Why do we get so excited about seeing an actor, an actress, or an athlete, or, or, or somebody that's famous and has mu- a massive amount of power and wealth. Why do we get so excited when they do that? You know why? Can I tell you why we get excited about that? It's not just because it's good. It's way deeper than that. It is good. I'm just saying it's way deeper than just because it's good. You know why we get so excited? We get so excited because, you know what, the humani- uh, humanitarian, all of us as human beings, all of us as people, what we value, you know what we value? We value these things highly even though we struggle with them. We value humility. We value service, servanthood. 
and we value sacrifice. You and I, we value them. Now, do we struggle with them? Oh, yes. I admitted to you. When I see a sign-up genius, I want to be on there first, and it's not because I'm going to be so prompt. I'm going to be quick. No, it's because I want the best serving spot so that you guys are left with everything else. Right? That's, I struggle with that. But then when I see somebody else do that, when I see an actor or an actress humble themselves and say, you know what? I don't need this. Please, this is yours. We burst and we go, wow, that's awesome. That's amazing. Why? Because they humbled themselves. Because they're being a servant. Because they sacrificed something that meant something to them. And they, we know that that's a big deal. You know why we burst and have those things as great things in our life? Because God put that in you. God created you to desire and love humility, service, and sacrifice. And by the way, I'm not talking about sacrifice like, um, oh, I shouldn't dig into this. Okay, I will. This, you're not going to like this, but, but uh, we just need to be honest, right? I'm talking about real sacrifice here, okay? This is not we have a garage sale and we've made the decision that nothing else comes back into the house after we didn't, what we didn't sell. And so what do we do with everything else? This is what Laura and I do. I know this is what you do because this is what Laura and I do. I know because I've talked to some of you. You said this, right? What we do is we say, that's not coming back in the house. I tell Laura every time we have a garage sale. Actually, we've stopped doing garage sales. Now we just give everything away, whatever, whatever. Because it's just a pain, isn't it? Like for a couple hundred bucks? Are you kidding me? Hello? Am I alive? Right? Uh, but, but what I say is, okay, when we take this out in the garage and we're going to try to sell it, it does not come back in. That's more of a practical thing. That's not me being like, ooh, sacrifice our things, right? What do we do? Well, we take it and we drop it off and we do that. And then we get a tax receipt. We're like, woo, not only did I serve, did I sacrifice, but I got some extra money out of it. That's not sacrifice, just so that we're clear. If you didn't want the stuff to begin with, you're willing to sell it, let me just tell you, it's not a sacrifice. <laughs> a sacrifice is when you give or you get rid of something that you actually love and value greatly. You hear what I'm saying? Jesus sacrificed. He served because he gave up what the most amazing and powerful and awesome thing that there was, and that was complete, constant relationship and presence and eternity in heaven with God. He gave that up for you. And it's a big deal. By the way, this is what sets Jesus apart from every other religion. Now I'm really going to dig into some offensive stuff. A lot of people say that you can get to God any direction you want, in any way you want, in any faith, in any religion you want. Let me just tell you, you're wrong if you believe that. You know what sets Jesus apart from all the other faiths and religions out there? Because it's the only one. It's the only one where God says, I love my people so much, I'm going to give myself. I'm going to sacrifice for them. I'm willing to die for them. I'm not going to force them to serve me. I, I want them to serve me. I want them to be obedient to me because I know that's the best of their life. But I want them to know that I'm going to give my life for them. I'm going to show them what it looks like. I'm serving them first. 
That's what sets Jesus, what sets us as followers of Christ apart from anything else. So my question to you is, what do you do with that? What do you do with Jesus who gave everything for you? In fact, it takes us to probably the most famous verse in the Bible. You've all at least heard of it, if not know it by memory. John 3, 16. What does the verse say? For God so loved the world. He loved the world so much. And by the way, that's not the planet, right? I mean, he loves creation, absolutely. But it's that he loved you, he loved me, he loved people so much that he gave, notice sacrifice, he gave This is maybe just as powerful as the fact that God loves you. The fact that God loves you is the purpose behind it, the reason behind it. But the fact that he acted out of that, right? The fact that he gave Jesus, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, shall not die, but have eternal life. So my question to you is this. Have you done what that verse says? Have you put your belief, your hope, your trust in Jesus? Do you believe in him? If not, I encourage you and invite you to do that today. I'll pray at the end and I'll give you the opportunity to do that. We're not going to belabor it. But if you have been, maybe you've been feeling like there's something missing in your life, let me just tell you what that something is. That something is Jesus. Put your belief, your trust in him. And you will have eternal life. But for the rest of us in here, maybe you're here and say, well, I've already given my life to Jesus. So I have a question for you. Do you look like him? I don't mean physically, right? I, I don't mean like hold up the picture that the artist painted with the flowing locks of hair and the, you know, the white robe. I mean, do you... When people experience your life, when they see you, when they talk to you, when they see what you do, when they experience your life, do they experience Jesus? Do they see Jesus? Do they experience him? Because of how you are, because of who you are. That's my question to you. So how we're going to end this morning is a little bit different. We're going to end with a song You guys have probably heard this. And band, uh, worship band, uh, let's go ahead and come on up if you would. And we're going to sing this song. And and, uh, you guys are just going to sit. You guys can just enjoy. This is kind of what we, we don't do a lot of these, but this is a special song. You don't have to sing along with it unless you want to, unless you know it. But this song talks very specifically about who Jesus is. I want you to listen to the words of this song. And then I'll get up and I'm going to end the service simply by praying. But as you consider these questions, have you given your life to Jesus? If you haven't, the offer is there. I encourage you to do it. And if you have given your life to Christ, consider the question, do I look like him? Do people experience Jesus when they come into contact with me in my life? So listen to these words of this song. And then we'll wrap this up.